Hello, listeners. I hope you are having an amazing holiday season and that you're as ready as I am to kick off a fresh start in the new year. Today's episode is a very special one because it's all about you, the listener community. Over the last year, I've gotten so many messages from listeners who want to be guests on the show. With that in mind, a few months ago, I announced that I'd be putting together SSR's first ever listener sode. I prompted you with a few questions and invited you to submit your answers as voice memos so they could be featured. Listening to the submissions I received was so much fun, and I'm loving this new format even more than I thought I would. Thank you so much to everyone who put themselves out there for this listener sode. I think it will be great to do more in the future. If you agree, please let me know over on Instagram or send me an email at hellossrpod at gmail.com. All of the listener sode guests mention lots of book titles and episodes of SSR, and I've listed all of them in the show notes for your reference. You can find these show notes at www.ssrpodcast.com slash listen slash episode 77. There are many other things to check out over at www.ssrpodcast.com, including our SSR blog and shop and a link to support the show on Patreon. Shout out to all of the Patreon supporters tuning in now. If Patreon isn't your thing, you can still support the podcast as we wrap up one year and begin another. Following us on social media is a good place to start. We are at SSRPod on Instagram and Twitter, and you can find us on Facebook by searching The SSR Podcast. If you're loving this episode, please take a screenshot of it and share it to your Instagram stories, tagging SSRPod. A five-star rating or review on iTunes would also be extremely helpful. Leaving one only takes a few minutes, but it goes a long way toward bringing new people to the podcast. I have big plans for SSRPod. SSR in 2020 and beyond, and it would mean so much to me to have your continued love and support. With any holiday travel you have left, I would also encourage you to support my friends at Libro.fm. Libro.fm lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. Choose from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know who I'm talking about. But you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. SSR listeners can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of just one month. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter code SSRPOD when prompted. Happy listening! If you are tuning into this episode in real time, this is the last you'll be hearing from me this year. Our next episode, the first installment of January 2020, will drop on January 7th. I can't wait to share it with you. In the meantime, listeners, enjoy some end-of-the-year downtime and enjoy this listener so too. I so appreciate you. Now let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR Podcast. You may recognize SSR as an elementary school-era abbreviation for silent sustained reading, but if you don't, that's okay. What it stands for here is Shit She Read. Each week, we'll crack the binding on an old-school read written for kids or teens and talk about it from a kind of grown-up perspective. We'll obsess over heartthrobs, relive the frustrations of middle school, and say an occasional WTF to a beloved author. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Ali Hofkosik, freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. off today with our first question is Katie Anderson from California. You are about to hear a little more about Katie, but you should also know that Katie has the special distinction of being the person who traveled the most to come to the SSR one-year anniversary party this past summer. Technically, she was in the New York area to visit family, but she still traveled all the way into Brooklyn on one of the hottest days of the year to hang with me. It was so cool. Thanks so much, Katie, for being you and for contributing your answer to our first ever listener-sewed question. What was your favorite book at 
as a tween or teen. Why did you love it so much? Hi, Allie. This is Katie Anderson. I am so glad you are doing this. I think it's awesome. And my friend Kate tagged me in the post that you posted on Instagram about this opportunity and I thought that was just awesome of her to, to think of me um, as we are two big fans over here in California. Kate is actually student teaching in the classroom next to me. We both at the high school here and um, she's teaching senior English um, and then I teach, co-teach freshman English. Um, and then my husband is a freshman English teacher. My dad's an English teacher back in Connecticut. So we have all that reading English running through us every which way. And on that note, since I am a teacher, of course, I approached this as a teacher and post-it notes and annotating and all that stuff, which is probably super silly and nerdy, but I had fun doing it. So um, the first question that you asked was, what was your favorite book as a tween or teen and why did you love it so much? I was at school thinking about this and I went on Goodreads and just a whole bunch of lists because I have something called mom brain. My daughter's now 17 months old um, and I have, you know, a caseload of kids and students and I'm reading a lot of books and my brain kind of goes flat when you ask this question, even though I know I've read so many books as a child. And the ones that first came to mind were books that you've mentioned um, and had episodes on on your podcast, Um, Boxcar Children, you've got the Nancy Drew, Babysitter's Club, Sweet Valley High, Goosebumps, Anna Green Gables, Little House on the Prairie, all all those were some of my favorites. But I think the ones that really... I have to admit that I loved the most were anything having to do with colonial times. So Little House on the Prairie was one of my favorites. And then the Meet the American Girl dolls. So I had Kirsten. And so I loved Meet Kirsten, um, which is, you know, follows her from Sweden to the U.S. And I liked anything related to colonial times. So there's also this other book called Sarah Plain and Tall. And I think it turns into a series. And it's it's kind of a weird now that I think about it, it's super weird. But I really remember the the cover and I just remember that story. So a dad puts an ad in the newspaper for a wife and a mother. And this is, you know, back in the 1800s, maybe even earlier, I think, because he they work on a farm and he really needs help with his family and and like that. So she comes and it's it's just a funny story, but I really remember that. Um, the other thing that was kind of hard was I kept morphing. Did I read that book or did I just see the movie? Did I, did I like both or what was that experience? So in my head, I'm like, Oh, I love Pippi Longstocking. Oh wait, I think I just read, I think I just watched that movie. You know, I was thinking, Oh, I loved Harriet the Spy. Wait, did I start that book? And then just watch the movie. So that kind of, I ran into some, some problems there, but definitely Little House on the Prairie, I think I would have to just name as my top favorite. I think I was like you in, with Anna Green Gables. Again, I remember watching that series, that movie, and I really liked it, but, and I had the books, I think, but I just never, they kind of scared me. The length really, really scared me. So I probably started them like 5,000 times got to a certain page and stopped, which I still do today. And my husband can't believe I do it. And it 
it blows him away that I do. Because once he starts a book, he's kind of in his zone and finishes it. And I can kind of put one down, pick one up. Oh, I guess I'll stop here on page 200. And it, he just, what? What are you doing? And why did I love that so much? I, I wanted to like be a colonial girl in one of those towns. I know you're from Pennsylvania. And so we would go to like Sturbridge Village and I remember leaving like the first time and being like, I want to be that colonial girl that pretends that she's like has a bonnet on and has her clothes and she's going to that little schoolhouse and she's playing with that hoop that you hit. I liked Laura. I loved the little five-year-old character and seeing it from her point of view, which I think is something you guys brought up in the podcast as well. Thank you so much for sharing, Katie. Sounds like we shared an affinity for historical fiction and maybe a love-hate relationship with long books like Anne of Green Gables as kids. Also, welcome to my world of not being able to know for sure whether you read a book or just saw a movie adaptation. Next up with this question is Amanda. She shares about a book that I have not thought about in a very, very long time. Hi, Allie. I love your show and wanted to contribute to the listener sode. Um, one of the questions you asked was to talk about a favorite childhood book. One of my favorite books as a kid was Daphne's book by Mary Downing Hahn. My fifth grade teacher read it to us. Um, I loved it. I bought my own copy and read it again and again. I recently reread it as an adult and I still love it. Um, the story is about a girl named Jessica and she loves to write. And uh, her English class is assigned this project where they have to write and illustrate a book with a partner as part of the local write a book contest. So the teacher assigns her to work with this girl, Daphne, who's kind of the class loner. The teacher does this because he thinks that she's the right person to reach out to Daphne. And at first, Jessica's upset because, you know, seventh grade girls want to be cool. She was afraid that her friends and classmates would tease her for hanging out with the class loner. And of course they do. But Jessica Jessica learns about being true to herself and being friends with the right people. Daphne turned out to be a very good friend for her, and she was for Daphne as well. She learns this uh, very dangerous secret about Daphne's home life, um, reaches out to her mom, and her mom helps helps Daphne find a new situation um, to live in. And it ends with Jessica and Daphne visiting each other. And we don't know if they stay close. I like to think that they will. I actually wrote a, my own sequel to the book uh, back before fan fiction was really a thing. I wrote a sequel to Daphne's book where I imagine uh, Daphne coming back home to the town and um, she and Jessica continue to go to school together and stay close close for a long time. Uh, but it's just a great book about friendship and being true to yourself. And I loved it as a kid and I still love it as an adult. So just wanted to share that. Thank you so much. Check you out with your trendsetting fan fiction. Seriously though, thank you for putting Daphne's book back on my radar. Consider it added to my very long wish list of books to discuss on the podcast. Nicole will be next to share her favorite book from her tween or teen years. She and I have been friends on Bookstagram for a long time, so it's really fun to hear more about her reading life. Hey Allie, this is Nicole from Nicole Marie Reads over on Instagram. So I was going through your questions for the listener sode, and there are a few that I wanted to jump in and kind of give you my two cents for. So the first one, um, my favorite book as a teen or a tween or a kid. I mean, it's probably the most common answer you'll receive, but Harry Potter. I believe I was in third grade when the first one came out and I quickly became obsessed. I was that kid who was like online every single time the new book came out for the new release. And for me, I think it was my favorite for multiple reasons, but I think it was happening in real time and getting the entire Harry Potter experience 
and getting it to experience it as it was coming and as they were developing was just so special. And for me, I don't know, like the nostalgia of those books and they just had such a sense of place. Their settings were just incredible. I feel like that was one of the first books that the setting was just so rich that I was able to picture it and see it and just envision everything that was going on. No judgment from me on Harry Potter being a common answer. People love it because it's good. Actually, Harry Potter isn't just good. What am I even saying? It's the best. Next, I'd like to introduce you to Julia. Julia shares some really kind words, plus one of her favorite books from her tweendom. Hi, Allie. It's Julia. Thank you so much for SSR. I really enjoy it. I've been listening, I think, for almost a year now, and it's definitely one of the highlights of my week. So question one, what was your favorite book as a teen or tween, and why did you love it so much? Um, I loved a book from maybe age 10 to 12. It's actually part of a trilogy, and it's called Wise Child. Um, So the first book was called Juniper. The second one was Wise Child, which I think was kind of the most popular. And the third one was called Coleman. And the series was about the native peoples of the UK. I think it took place specifically in Scotland. And it was about essentially the female shamans slash healers slash witches of that day. And almost all of the books are about young kids, probably I think ages again, 10 to 12, who become um, an apprentice of whoever the outcasted witches of that particular time in that land. And it's uh, pretty sequential. So I loved that book. I felt a sense of peace when I read it because it talked about using herbs for healing. It talked about sort of different types of society, different parts of society where people who were close to the land and into magic were outcast as compared with usually the rulers of the land who either relied on them, but then also shunned them or at sometimes revered them. But in any case, they weren't capable of taking care of themselves. So they depended on these witches. So I loved that book as a tween and I was really sad when that author died because um, that was, I think, the only children's series she wrote. Everything else was uh, more like biographies of other religious people, usually Catholics of the day. Um, The author of that book is Monica Furlong. These books were totally new to me, so I'm going to have to check them out. I genuinely love it when a listener can stump me with a title I've never heard of. Thanks to Ruth for contributing her answer to this question as well. It's coming your way right now. So my favorite book as a teen, no doubt, it's any book from the Goosebumps series, which is not surprising, I guess, because I'm pretty sure a lot of us as our fans were familiar with this particular series. So yeah, I've always been a kid who loved horror stuffs. I watched horror movies far too gory for a kid in elementary school, which by the way, parents, please don't forget to supervise your children while watching. This is me talking from experience, by the way. And yeah, I've always been fascinated with all things supernatural, and perhaps that's one of the reasons why sometimes I felt like I was out of place in elementary school, because in my country, um, Indonesia, it's not really a cool thing for a kid to be reading. It's not the thing that the popular kids would do. But I was fine with it because reading was one of the things that connect me with my childhood best friends. So yeah, Goosebumps were also amazingly written in a way that it's just suck you in. You felt like the world just stopped at the suspense. 
and Stein was amazing at building suspense and surprising readers with those incredible twists. So the fact that I love horror with the fact that my library had a pretty impressive collection of goosebumps with those amazing 90s covers were what drove me into reading. And yeah, goosebumps was also probably why I became a reader in the first place because you know, once you read a book from this series, you would never want to stop. As you know, if you've listened to episode 11, I was not a Goosebumps reader when I was a kid, but thanks to the podcast, I'm finally caught up. Ruth, I loved hearing about your experience with this series and all things horror. For what it's worth, I think it was very cool of you to read Goosebumps. Who cares what the popular kids were doing? Next up is question two. Have you had any surprising or interesting experiences rereading a book from your childhood? Katie will get us started with her rereading anecdote. I instantly thought of The View from Saturday. It's a book by E.L., I'm going to say her last name wrong, Konigsberg. And I know you guys did an episode on your podcast with one of her other books from the mixed up files of Mrs. Basil. And it took me a second to kind of put it all together that that was the same author. So I distinctly remember this book. It was hardcover. It's thin. The cover is very like distinct. And I just remember having this constantly out in my room. So I'm rereading it right now. I'm like almost done. I think I have like 50 or 40 pages left and I've put post-its all over it. And it's, it's surprising me or it's, I'm finding it so interesting because this wasn't a book that everybody talked about and it wasn't super cool to talk, you know, Babysitter's Club was awesome to talk about and all those kind of goosebumps and all these other ones. And for some reason, I really liked this one and I'm totally understanding why. It's the story of these like sixth graders that are in the finals of this, this championship. It's like a trivia championship and it's this quirky group of kids and each time a question is asked and that's the person that answers that like, you know, presses the buzzer, we then get this chapter of what's going on in their life. I think why I love it so much and it, what I'm finding interesting about my little childhood self is, you know, I read a lot of those babysitters club and they do go into depth, but there's, I felt like with this book, they went into this extra layer of what's going on inside and like what's making you feel uncomfortable as a kid of that age. It shows all these little uncomfortable inside thoughts that these kids had. And I feel like at the age, you know, middle school, elementary school, you, you tried to play it cool. You tried to be comfortable, but inside you had all these thoughts. And I know we read them in some of those, the Babysitter's Club and all those other books, but I feel like in this one, it really goes in depth a little bit more of all the little things that these people notice and like say in their head. And it also goes a step further of like wanting to kind of step outside of the usual box and to be kind and to help this teacher, which totally sound, makes me sound like a goody two shoes that I gravitated to that kind of a book, but I could go into it more and more, but I'm also just blown away by kind of like how the maturity and like the level of this book, there's a lot to it, even though it is, you know, a younger book. So I will have much more to say, but I'm, I'm really enjoying it. I loved The View from Saturday when I was a kid too, and it's at the top of my list for SSR in 2020. Isn't it interesting how much you learn about the kid version of you when you take on these rereads? If this isn't normally part of your reading routine, I would highly recommend it. Over to you, Nicole. With the exception of Harry Potter, I really haven't reread all that many books from my childhood. However, I am a school librarian and having the opportunity to 
revisit my favorites, but through different eyes of my students has been one of the most rewarding parts of my job. And seeing how some of the books like Babysitter's Club and how they still do get checked out and kids do still enjoy them, but how the diversity just isn't there the way that we need it to be has been real eye-opening. I think that Nicole's perspective as a school librarian is so interesting, and I'm hoping to bring her on the SSR blog at some point in the new year to share more. Also, as a kid who loved her school librarian as an elementary schooler, I feel very cool being friends with one as a grown-up myself. Next up to talk about Riri, is Julia. I started rereading the series of books by John Belairs called The House with a Clock in Its Walls. You may have heard of or seen the movie adaptation with Jack Black, which was terrible. Please do not watch that movie, period. There's really no need for it. So in reading that book, rereading that book, I discovered what it was about that series that I really loved. And it was something about the dark magicalness of the house and the characters that kind of felt like the Adams family, but more comforting. And there was always this element of, again, sort of similar to Harry Potter, children learning magic and sort of surprisingly winning the day when the grown-ups don't necessarily think that they're capable of it. I love a good child, witch, wizard, warlock, hero situation. And what surprised me is after I started reading that, I discovered a new set of books called Winter House. And Winter House is by Ben Gooderson, and it's another trilogy. And it was written... In the last two years, and there's a third book coming out actually this month, this December, and it has really similar feel to it. Child who thinks that they're not magical happens upon a magical place and then discovers their magic at the surprise of adults with a lot of fun elements having to do with exploring the land and learning about new delicious food and making exciting friends along the way. And I listened to an interview with Ben Gooderson from another podcast. It turns out that he was inspired by John Belairs, who wrote House with a Clock in Its Walls. And so I think he's done a really good job of creating a trilogy with a similar feel without, um, with a nod to John Belairs and yet hasn't infringed on any copyright or anything like that. So I was just really surprised that someone else who is even older than me read John Belairs as a kid, was inspired, became an author, and then got a really beautiful trilogy published, almost inspired by and in honor of the original John Belairs House of the Clock and Its Walls. Julia reached out to me about The House with the Clock and Its Walls a few months ago. This wasn't a book I read as a kid, and I really enjoyed learning more about it. So thanks for sharing, Julia. You know how much I love when a kid wins the day. It's Ruth's turn to share about her rereading experience. And if you've listened to any of our Babysitter's Club episodes, you know that I can relate. So I had a surprising experience from rereading one of my childhood faves, The Babysitter's Club, because I remember being able to connect to each one of the babysitters club because of their uniqueness as individual and how they were so independent in running a business in a professional way 
And I also remembered how I was really inspired by how they carried things out and solved problems with their personal ways. But reading it as an adult, what surprised me the most was how I found that their characters were at times a little annoying. Like I know saying this is a hard thing for me to do because I didn't find any flaws of this series as a kid. Zero. Nada. And now I don't know, it's probably the edge factor, but I found them just a tiny bit naggy and sometimes harsh in terms of speaking as kids. I remember this scene when Christy was kind of insulting Mary Ann fashion, despite the fact that she probably knew that it was Mary Ann's father who made her wear those clothes. But yeah, I tried to make myself understand that, well, they were in that transforming phase from a kid to a teen, and yeah, I went through that phase too, so that kind of comforts me a little bit. Don't you hate to be let down by a Babysitter's Club book? There's a lot I've loved about these titles when I've reread them for the podcast, but I definitely see where Ruth is coming from. Speaking of disappointments, I also asked for listeners to share about the books they might be most scared to reread from their childhoods. Katie will share first. I'm scared to reread Little House on the Prairie (laughs) because, you know, after listening to your episode, what I liked is that you guys ended on this note of, I think, in the right context and with guided you know, research that you did, even though there's so many problems in it, the message is still so, you know, her as this character and what it laid the foundation for, for other, other characters like her is super important. And, and also, like you said, the, the writing is just so beautiful. And so that's all in my mind and it's all this be like pretty picture and colonial girls and all that stuff. And so like, I'm, I'm scared to read it and be like, what the heck? There's so many problems in here. So I think I'll just leave it in that world and it's going to stay there. <laughs> Little House on the Prairie is a complicated one, for sure. I'm sure many listeners are right there with you, Katie. Next, I'd like you to meet Corey. Listeners, Corey needs our help. Hi, everyone. Love the SSR podcast. Um, so to jump right in, the book that I am most scared to go back and read is A Wrinkle in Time. So when I was in sixth grade, I had just transferred from a very small private Catholic school to uh, a much bigger public school by comparison. And this was the first book that we were assigned to read in English. And I've always been an avid reader, love reading, but this book just totally went over my head. I just did not get it at all. So on our first test, I bombed it. I failed and I was devastated. I've never gotten a bad grade before this. So yeah, I guess I'm truly afraid to go back and read this book. I'm afraid that I'm either going to go back and still not understand it, still not even grasp what the book is about, or maybe the opposite. I'll totally get it and wonder what the heck I was thinking. So I would love some advice. What do you guys think? Should I should I do it? Should I read the book and hopefully love it? Or I don't know. Tell me what you guys think. Love the podcast. Bye. First of all, Corey, let me just say that A Wrinkle in Time was hard for me to understand even as an adult rereading it for episode 15. We all support you. When in doubt, though, I say reread. A Wrinkle in Time is a really cool book, and you'll come to it with such a different perspective all these years later. That being said, I don't want to traumatize you or bring back any bad memories. Thanks for sharing your story. Julia's up next. There was a book that was a Sweet Valley Twins and Friends book called The Magic Christmas, 
and I'm sure you're seeing a trend here now. I like to read a lot about magic as a kid, but I wouldn't say that I was a high fantasy kid either. I liked kind of regular people that discovered they were magical or that happened upon a magical world. I'm scared to read Sweet Valley Twins and Friends, The Magic Christmas, because when I listened to the SSR episode about Sweet Valley High, I was like, oh no, this is this is going to be terrible. I don't know if I can bear the misogyny of Sweet Valley High in favor of the fantasy and the happy memories I had about whatever unicorns and princes and things in that book. So first of all, it's difficult to find anyway. But second of all, yeah, I don't know if I want to ruin that experience for myself. Clearly, this community knows all too well what my experience coming back to Sweet Valley has been. It has not been great. If you want to keep that series magical, Julia, then yes, I would recommend leaving it in the past. Sorry. Katie is now going to share about the book she was most excited to hear held up, at least according to the SSR podcast, as well as the one she was most bummed to hear didn't. I was super bummed that like Nancy Drew did not hold up. I mean, it totally makes sense when I think about it, the dresses and how she looks and maybe that she's not as hardcore detective as I thought she was. And so that kind of crushed my little Nancy Drew heart. Um, I loved that series and I loved like holding those old books and the yellow binding and all that kind of stuff. And I, I like remember my brother, well, there was one Christmas, my brother, we were in high school. Well, he was in high school. I don't think I was in high school yet. And I'm three years younger than my brother. And he, his appendix burst on like Christmas Eve. And I was like, no, you're ruining Christmas Eve, Christmas, which is such a ridiculous thought to have. I remember when we went to the hospital and he had to be there a few days. So we had to like postpone Christmas. I remember in the like little game room, they had this like really, I think it was like multiple books in one in this big Nancy Drew, or maybe it was like a later edition or something, or like a special series, something, but it was really thick. And I remember being like, oh, this is fine. We have Nancy Drew here. Like we can postpone Christmas. So I was bummed to hear that didn't hold up. I was also really bummed that Harriet the Spy was as like much of a flop as it was. It's another one where I think I started And I just loved the movie so much that it just overpowered the book in my memory. You know, I bought a typewriter. I bought the multiple composition books. I might have even made tomato and mayo sandwiches as well for a while. Which also made me think of in um, The Babysitter's Club, one of the girls, and it might just be in the movie, they make peanut butter and banana sandwiches. And I think it's when one of them is like hanging out with her dad and she doesn't spend much time with her dad. And so I think that was like the first time that taught me like, oh, I'm going to make peanut butter and banana sandwiches. That sounds really good. Anyway, side note. So I was bummed to hear that Harriet the Spy was just so, did not hold up. And then which book were you most excited to hear held up on the podcast? You know, not to be a broken record, but I was happy with the resolution of like Little House on the Prairie, just how if you do the right research, if you just kind of have that conversation around it, then it can still, it still is such a good, beautifully written, very important character book. I think another one that I was happy held up was, I think it was Anna Green Gables held up. There was that problematic of like giving up her school, you know, going to college and giving up that scholarship. I think for the most part, that one held up. I'll have to go back, but I'm, if I'm remembering right. A, I am very sad to have crushed your Nancy Drew heart. Please believe me when I say that I take absolutely zero pleasure in it. B, my feelings about Harriet the Spy are very complicated, but my feelings about peanut butter and banana sandwiches are not. I love them. 
C. I'm glad you feel good about where we landed with Little House on the Prairie. It's problematic for sure, but there are absolutely pieces that hold up. Now it's Julia's turn to answer this two-in-one question. I was so happy to hear that the mixed-up files of Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler mostly held up. I had so many fond memories of that book as a kid, and I hadn't read it or discussed it for probably 20 years. <laughs> um, and I, I didn't even reread it when I knew that you guys were covering it. I just listened to the recap and the commentary on that particular episode, and that was enough for me to know that it basically held up. There was some really good character development. There was excellent adventure and, again, such an original idea. And I was so happy for that throwback and that nostalgia. And I was most disappointed that Homecoming by Cynthia Voigt did not hold up. I didn't reread it, but I loved that book as a kid. I think I probably read it twice, didn't remember anything about it as an adult, just remembered loving the simplicity of it and like the neutrality of it for some reason. And I agree with you guys. I have no idea why it won an award. I probably should go back and reread it again to see if I can figure out why the heck I thought it was so amazing as a kid. But I'm so sad that there was something some X factor that Homecoming had in the 90s when we read it that just hasn't held up today in almost 2020. I was also really happy about our discussion of From the Mixed Up Files of Mrs. Basil Lee Frankweiler. That's such a special book, no matter how old you are. It sounds like Julia and I were very much on the same page, pun intended, with Homecoming. Recapping this one and determining that it did not hold up really threw me for a loop since it was a childhood favorite of mine as well. For the final question of the listener sode, I asked what you think we need more of in YA or Kidlet. Katie's going to share her thoughts first. I think, and it could just be because I'm not seeking those out right now because I'm not a teen going through this, but you know, we read so many dystopian books and these like science fiction-y books, which I gravitate towards as an adult. For when I look at YA, I'm like, oh, this is really interesting to like have this world. And I find it really fascinating. Along those same lines, I had never read The Golden Compass. And then you did that episode and I was like, I'm going to read this book. Because I remember the line, The Witch in the Wardrobe, but I don't remember The Golden Compass. So I read that and had Kate, my friend, read it too. And so we both talked about it. But I think we need more of the, like the simple, really important but strong story. And this was from the episode you just did, As Long As We're Together. And your guest really brought that home, the one who wrote Hey Ladies, just about this simple, simple story about friendship. And there's no real like drama or crazy story. And nowadays, you know, you have, it seems as if to get young readers' attention, you have to have this like crazy story. And yet there's this really simple story, but it's so important. And I think so many people walked away from that book just really holding on to that. Um, so I would say we need a little bit more of that. I love a good friendship story too. So consider this a retweet of that answer. I am all for a little more simplicity in Kidlet and YA. Nicole's up next with this one. Remember listeners, she's a school librarian. There are some little audio issues at the end of this clip, but trust me, you'll want to hear what Nicole has to say. I think for me, the biggest thing is that we need to stop saying that books that aren't written well, well, just because it's YA, 
I think we need to have a higher expectations. I think it's important to not lower the bar for YA and for middle grade because there are some amazing middle grade and young adult novels. And I think we need to honor those and appreciate them and not just accept books that aren't the best written. Just accept them because they're YA or because they're middle grade. I think we need to, you know, keep that standard and we need to remember um, Hannah from Book Nerd Native just said it really well that, you know, we teens deserve books that are written well. And I couldn't agree with that anymore. It's true. We need to remember that the books that they're reading as kids and as teens that's setting them up for future reading and that's setting them up for their own reading life and their own writing. So we want to create good literature for them. So stop excusing poorly written books because they're middle grader, because they're YA. We want to withhold the same standards for those genres as we do for our adult books. Yes, Nicole, more high quality, well-written teen and middle grade books. There are so, so many out there already and I'm all for keeping that standard high going forward. Now it's Julia's turn. I think we need more of positive Armageddon stories. When I think about books like The Hunger Games um, and how basically children in the last 28 years have had so many stories about Armageddon and basically every like post-apocalyptic horror things, I really feel like it's important to have narratives of the world crumbling and then kids and adults actually working together to make it not crumble. I'm not asking for a utopian story, but I'm asking for something that looks like it's going in the dystopia direction, but due to teamwork and people being creative in their solutions and their design, finding ways to save humanity without having to have an apocalypse first. I think stories are definitely a model that all humans use to inform and inspire their lives. And I would love it if there was a penultimate swing of the pendulum rather than the last swing where everything goes to shit and then we all have to start over again. That is such a fascinating request for the industry, Julia. Thank you for sharing and for getting fully in the spirit of SSR by joining me in the use of the word shit. Those are all of the answers to the official questions, but I did want to share this anecdote from Katie. Yes, she talks about the SSR one-year party and how hot it was that day, but I think the story of the circumstances under which she recorded her answers really speaks to the importance of books in her life. For that reason, I'm sure you'll appreciate it. You know, as I'm recording this, we live in this little town in Northern California, Um, but again, I'm from Connecticut and loved meeting you for the... SSR one year birthday and even though it was hot and sweaty and but it was completely worth it and we're about to lose power we're in an area that PG&E is like shutting off power just in case of like the the wind is going to cause fires and so um, I'm like when we lose power we also lose wi-fi and we also lose cell service so okay this is fresh in my mind I've been thinking about these questions I need to you know, record myself so it gets out there. But um, I have my bag full of books and I have my Kindle all charged. So at least I can be reading um, when this happens. Before I officially sign off, here is one more little clip from Julia, mostly because it just made me so happy. 
Thank you again for creating the SSR podcast. It's given me permission to geek out, to read a little bit more, and it's made me feel excited that there is a community of readers out there who are unashamed, unabashed, and very proud to be fanatic readers. Julia, that's exactly what I wanted to build when I launched this community in 2018, so I'm so glad that's been your experience. I hope you all enjoyed listening to this special episode as much as I enjoyed putting it together. Hopefully, we'll have more listener shows in the future so that even more of you can share your two cents and have them heard on an episode. Thanks again to all of those who contributed to this one. Thanks so much to everyone listening for all of your support in 2019. I can't wait to see where 2020 takes us. Happy New Year, listeners. Cheers to a new chapter full of good books, good conversations, and fantastic people. Tune in to our first episode of 2020 on January 7th. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the SSR Podcast. Check out our website at www.ssrpodcast.com for show notes and other information. And be sure to connect with us on social media for updates on upcoming episodes, behind-the-scenes inside scoop, and some good old-fashioned book talk. Find us at SSR Pod on Instagram and Twitter, and search SSR Podcast on Facebook to join the group. To reach out directly, you can send me an email at hellossrpod at gmail.com. If you're loving the show, it would mean so much if you could subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share your thoughts with a comment. And don't forget to tell your friends, too. In the meantime, happy reading. I'll see you next time on the SSR Podcast.